All right, we are in part four of the adventure series. And the theme scripture is from 2 Corinthians, where Paul says, Now thanks be to God. I'll get it up there so you can see it. Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. And so we're looking through the first kind of several chapters of the book of Acts as we watch and we observe, we see how God diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge through the apostles, through the early church, into the society and the culture of the day. And so today we're really looking, we're asking a question um, of culture, is how do we, as believers, how do we impact culture? Where is our, our, is our, how do we influence culture? Because we're being, our adventure is not in our living room. Our adventure is not here in the sanctuary. We, we come here to praise God, to worship, but, but our adventure is into the cultures of man. And so how does God diffuse the fragrance of his knowledge through us into our culture? Well, some, there is kind of a, uh, some thought that goes into, and some people follow kind of the, this idea um, where um, in another place where Paul says, you know, I have become all things to all men or all people that some might be saved. And they use that scripture to say, okay, well, so I have put on the uniform of my culture and I have asked and I have paid my dues in the culture and I want the world and the city and everything that the, the, our culture holds dear to anoint and appoint me and, and propel me in my path of influence so that one day I might be able to share the gospel. So if that were true, then we should see that in Paul's life. We should see that, that idea or the way that, that um, we should see that theology in Paul's life. So we're going to take a look at it. Um, we're going to take a look at today in uh, the uh, passage of scripture from Acts chapter 17. And we're going to, I'm going to kind of go through it piece by piece from verse 16 all the way to verse 34. Um, but everywhere, really, the apostles went. There was a revival or a riot or both. Most often both, right? Jerusalem, in Joppa, in Caesarea Philippi, in Antioch, in Lystra, in Iconium, in Thessalonica, in Berea, and now, in this chapter in Athens, there's a revival Sometimes a riot, or both. And, I mean, so much so that uh, even in this passage we pick up, we find that Paul has been sent ahead. Now, the text doesn't say this, but I like to imagine that if we were all part of, you know, the, the gathering of the early church, and maybe some of us were... We, we might say, well, Paul is really the lightning rod that's causing some of this. So you, you go ahead to Athens, and we'll see if it's a revival or a riot, and then we'll follow. <laughs> so here we go, picking up in verse 16. 
I'm just going to read the first couple verses here. Now, while Paul waited for them, the other apostles, at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Paul had been sent ahead to Athens, and when he got there, Scripture, we find that it says his spirit was provoked within him. This is not, the word picture is not just an anger. He is undone, right? The idolatry of the culture sickens him, but he doesn't hold up his nose in superiority like we've seen many Christians do, right? They get sickened by the culture, and then they retreat to a fortress of self-righteousness and say, no, I've become an enemy of the culture rather than an observer of the culture that some might be saved. We don't want to be those who hold our noses and retreat to some other place. Paul, therefore, because he was not only sickened by the idolatry of the culture, he also was moved deeply with compassion for those who needed the gospel. The people that God is, is, is diffusing the fragrance of his knowledge to are in a culture full of idolatry. It's no different today. All the cultures of men around the world are full of idolatry. There's no difference. We might have different temples. We might have different entertainment. We might have different bars. But the idolatry is the same. And Paul was sickened by it. Have you ever been sickened? Are you sickened by the idolatry in the culture? But have you allowed it? Have you turned your nose at it? And in so, have you turned your back on the very people that God wants to smell the fragrance of the gospel in your life? It says in the synagogue, so therefore, Paul, that was a reason for Paul to get real, to get serious. He said, therefore, day and night, he reasoned in the synagogue. And in the synagogue, he used language like, hey, all, all of the, the scriptures in the Old Testament, all the things you've read about the Messiah, it's Jesus who, who you've been reading about. He's using this kind of line of thinking. He's, he has common ground in the study of the Old Testament scriptures. But in the marketplace, does he have that common ground? No, he's reasoning in the marketplace. And he's just saying, you know, God is a good energy. Right, because that's the gospel. God is a good energy. Have you ever said that to somebody in the marketplace? <laughs> right? I mean, but do, do the things we say at our jobs, at our schools, do they sound as rich and as deep as God is a good energy? Can somebody possibly see and understand the gospel from a statement like that? In the marketplace, Paul does speak differently, but we're about to find out whether the message is 
really that different than the one that he preached in church. Continuing in verse 18, we're going to read the next three verses here. Verses 18 to 21. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler say? That's mockery. He's being criticized right here. He's being made fun of. What does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them, God is a good energy. No. He preached to them, Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, which is another way of saying Mars Hill, if that makes you happy. To the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners and the San Luis Obispans <laughs> spend their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. You know, we still have Epicureans and Stoics with us today. It's not just a classical text here. Epicureans are those who seek, this is more of a classical definition, seek outward tranquility as the highest good. But you know them as those who preach the mantra of world peace as if it were salvation. Let me say that again. They're preaching salvation through world peace. And they see the gospel as an enemy to it. They're the ones saying, have, have you seen all the evil done in the name of religion? They see the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ as an enemy to salvation, not the author of it. Prevalent in our culture, is it not? We have the Stoics, the classical definition, seeking internal acceptance of life's inevitability. They will find, you'll hear things that salvation is through finding your truth. What's your truth? Have you, what's, what's your internal philosophy? Have you learned to just accept life's inevitability? You hear these kind of threads in teachings of other religions. Does it sound maybe a bit Buddhist or maybe a bit Zen? What's your truth? How do you find your internal salvation and acceptance of how you were, how you came to be and what life has in store for you? We have that camp. Do you hear that voice in our culture? And the gospel, right, is seen as a source of bondage by this philosophy. The gospel that proclaims that you must unconditionally surrender and repent to an absolutely truthful God that is universal and stands before you distinct 
and separate and high and holy could demand from you to receive this free gift of salvation that you bend your knee and make the feelings and thoughts of your heart even under submission to that God. The Stoics, the ones who they see the gospel as bondage. And yes, we have those camps today. And look at this last verse. It says, for all the Athenians and the foreigners, and I said in the San Luis Obispans, because this is nothing unique to Athens. All the philosophies of man will fall flat. They will run out of gas. They will leave you wanting and broken. They may work for a while, but they lose their flavor their saltiness, their vigor, and their power because they are not eternal. And so we find this is why they spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Is that in our culture today? It's even in the church. There are streams and schools of thought in the church that are bored with the gospel. As if the gospel was not a, a limitless fountain of knowledge and wisdom and power and majesty and mystery. As if the gospel has become mundane. Because they are tired of the sometimes socially divisive nature of scripture. So they start looking for something new. Maybe let's mix in a little evolution into the Christian faith. Or why don't we just try erasing hell from the Bible? Maybe we could make a new gospel that doesn't require repentance or unconditional surrender. It's more like Jesus can be the bolt-on power source for my life. Maybe we'd like to create a more palatable biblical storyline that only highlights blessings, but not the warnings. That never happens. Maybe we manufacture a God that didn't create humanity as distinctly male and female image bearers. Maybe, maybe we're rejecting the church, the body, our assembly together as essential to knowing God because we denigrate or we criticize the supposed hypocrisy of people who go to church. And we start talking about the church as something other than the sacred body of Christ. We've become tired of the gospel. You see, Paul was about to go on the biggest stage of his day. The Areopagus was like the philosophy center of the city. It'd be like getting asked to go on Dr. Phil or Ellen DeGeneres or Oprah Winfrey. I mean, you know, I mean, and we see that, you know, we see, uh, you, you know, the, the, the boy who spent 90 minutes in heaven and then was revived, right? He, he gets asked onto the Today Show. 
And the, the people on the Today Show aren't, uh, you know, born-again, blood-bought, believing believers who are looking f- to give this boy a platform to share the gospel. No, something has happened. They've heard a new thing, and something has happened that none of their philosophies can make sense of. And so they want to say, well, what is this? Can you explain this to me? And we're going to find out, you know, it was not because Paul hid his Christianity and smelled, acted, spoke, or dressed like the culture that he was invited. He was invited because the Athenians were superstitious, they were curious about spirituality, and specifically, the Jesus and the resurrection Paul preached and demonstrated in the marketplace with signs following. They heard about people getting healed. They heard about people that had been in bondage or traumatized or demon-possessed and however their philosophies could explain that. And now those people were new, were different. How can this be explained? You're talking about some foreign god we don't know anything about. And it's causing a stir in the marketplace, at farmer's market, whatever. So we're inviting you Come share about it. They're not expecting, they're expecting to try and figure it out or maybe to expose whatever the, the, the hypocrisy or the, the, they want to expose the game and how it's being manipulated, right? They've called him a babbler. That, that word is, is, you know, like it would be used to describe a con man, somebody who walks into town and is, and is retailing a bunch of misinformation and, and deluding people, right? They're using this as a way, hey, now when you share, we're going to put you all around the most famous and intense and intellectual minds that we have, and we're going to prosecute you until you fall, Right? Not always when we're given a platform, it's because they're celebrating the gospel or the work of the gospel. It's because they really don't trust that it's real or true, and they want to put us to shame. That's okay. Paul didn't mind. Now, to be clear, Paul was not trying to offend people. He was not calloused or self-righteous. What you could say about Paul is that he just wasn't consumed with himself or how he appeared at all. Because Paul believed the message he was preaching and the demonstrations of power that followed did not require the audience to think or feel any certain thing about him personally. We've been affiliated with with Young Life Ministry for a long time, and they have a mantra that says, what you win people with is what you win people to. Now, I'm going to show you some shocking photos of me. Okay? What am I winning people with? I don't really want to hear your answers. It's more of a rhetorical question. Now, I, no, this was not when I was in high school. I was trying to share the gospel. Right? And am I saying, well, if you look like that, you can't share the gospel? No, I'm not saying that at all. But for me, this was a, 
uniform of culture. This was a uniform of culture because if people thought I was cool, then I could share the gospel with them. And it wasn't that, you know, this was, we were part of a band for, for uh, seven years, and, and, I, and I, uh, I'm not saying that all of our motives or intentions were wrong. They weren't. We wrestled with this very thing daily. In the lyrics of the song we wrote, can we use the name of Jesus in a song? Or should we just kind of write a worship song that could easily double as a romantic love song and nobody can tell the difference? You know, I, I'm, these are, but they're real questions. And wh whether it's in a band or on your job or starting a business, what uniforms do we put on that our theology of practice is saying, world, you need to anoint me and appoint me and think that I'm cool and give me a place of influence so that one day I'll be able to share the gospel. What? As if God needed my popularity. Paul was not popular. Paul was not cool. You know, if we win people with good music, then when the music is better down the street, we lose them again. If we win people with entertainment and all the coolest tech, then when the entertainment and tech is cooler somewhere else, we lose them again. If we win people with the feeling of a big tribal gathering and the personality of a good speaker, then when there is a bigger tribal gathering and a better speaker than Pastor Jeff elsewhere, we lose them again. If we win people by being nice but hiding Jesus, then when they actually hear Jesus speak from the scriptures, we might lose them again. If we win people with our respect for Jesus but our self-righteous criticism of his church, how can we ever expect them to devote their life to authentic community in the church? But if we win people with the gospel and the loving demonstrations of God's power that follows, then we can't lose them. They are safely in God's hands. So what does Paul do with his big break? his day on the Oprah Winfrey show. How did you get to this place of popularity, Mr. Apostle Paul? Oh, well, God is a good energy, and I was uh, on this road, and, wow, I had this mystical experience where mud was on my eyes, and God sent these different people, and, wow, now I'm just a different, kinder, nicer human being. Okay. For those of you, and this, if you are, if you do not consider yourself to be churched, meaning you don't speak Christianese, that's okay. Hear the gospel. Hear the gospel today from the Apostle Paul. 
Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Therefore, since we are... Oh, I'm good. Did I... I might have skipped a part. Oh, I missed it. Okay. Right in the middle of the gospel presentation, too. Okay. I got to get back to my text and off my slides. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance, God overlooked but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Paul builds a bridge from their worldview to the Christian storyline without referencing the Old Testament or the God of our forefathers or Christian ease and sanctification and glorification and beautification and all the Asians that we like to use in the church. But the gospel, could you hear plainly, clearly the gospel he was an observer of culture. He knew enough in the culture to find common ground, to find commonality, a place to begin, a place to start. And he built the bridge to the God, to creation, the God of creation. And let me tell you, creation the creation story, the, the fact that even creationism was just as repellent to the culture in Athens in this day as it is to our evolutionary mindsets in our culture today. He talks about creation. He talks about the fall. 
He talks about, and he says, all of this, everything your culture has been after, right? The altars and the, that you worship at, the temples that you have constructed, they're rubbish. They are an affront to God. But good news, he wasn't walking around with a sign that says you're all going to hell. He was walking around saying, hey, listen, God has overlooked it. Repent. Take the chance. Take the opportunity. Walk through the door. He goes from fall and then also to redemption. And then he also says, and he's coming back, folks. And I can prove it to you because God raised him from the dead. Can, are, you, are you fluent enough in the story of the gospel? And are you an observer of our culture enough that you can talk with somebody fluently and confidently and peacefully and compassionately and build a bridge from their worldview to the storyline of God without Christianese, without religiosity, without self-righteousness. Paul himself, he said in Romans, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God, no, to salvation for everyone who believes. No, he said, for it is the popularity of my followers that are a salvation to everyone who believes. No, the power of God is not to be confused with popularity. God does not need our popularity. God does not need our name or our platform. He already has the name that is above every name. He already is all-powerful. He already has a platform in heaven. Earth is his footstool. And Paul says, he says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Paul is talking about himself. He is saying, yes, I'm I am one of those weak things. I, I was one of the foolish things. I was a chief sinner among sinners. I'm, I haven't, I'm, not, I'm not parading my pedigree in front of you. Goodness gracious. We're the same. He's building common ground and putting himself arm in arm with the very people whom we look down on and saying, no, God has overlooked both of our... He's overlooked it all. And talking, declaring, pleading with people, using the name, actually saying Jesus in the marketplace. It's not common as it should be. And you know, there are three responses to the gospel. And we find it right here in verses 32 to 34. Jared, can you help me? 
And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius, the Areopagite, that he was like one of the producers of the program. And a woman named Damaris and others with them. There are always three responses to the gospel. Some will mock. Some will mock you. Some will listen to you further. And some will believe. In this room, as you've heard the gospel, in your heart, you might be mocking me. You might be willing to listen further. You might believe. God is looking for humble people not ashamed of the gospel that saved them. So I want to ask you a question. How many of you have shared the gospel, talking about Jesus and the resurrection, shared the gospel with somebody in the last week? Thank you, Lord. How about the last month? That's awesome. God bless you. God bless you. It's not so for much of the church. We live in a land where hundreds of thousands of people have laid down their lives for our freedom and principally for our religious freedom so that the worst thing that could be done to us by sharing the gospel is we're mocked. How can we not use that freedom more boldly more wholeheartedly than we do. How could we go a month, a year, a lifetime without sharing the gospel? That, folks, we are ashamed of the gospel by which we were saved. So I've asked Jared to sing a song, and... I'm just going to say that the altar is open. We will close in about five minutes. The altar is open. If you, if you need to repent and unconditionally surrender to the Lord because you have heard the gospel through this text and believed, come and receive the total and amazing gift that God has given you in Christ Jesus. He has overlooked your sin and your faults and the sin of the world and the culture that has pillaged your life. If you need to repent for always wanting to hear a new thing because you've become bored with the gospel, or because you have become ashamed of the gospel. And, and you may not have thought about it as being ashamed of the gospel, but because you don't share the gospel with people, you have been alerted to something in your heart. I'm just saying, the altar is open. 
I will be there. I would say it's been two weeks since I shared the gospel with somebody. I don't want to go a week without sharing the gospel with somebody. The altar is open.